logic, revisionism, counter-economics. Welcome to the Agora. What's up, everybody? I'm Sal Mayweather. This is the Agora. Stephen Kinsella is a world-renowned patent attorney and a leading libertarian rights theorist. I invited him on the show to break down and help us understand some of Craig Wright's recent legal claims, including his attempt to copyright the Bitcoin white paper, as well as some of the torts that he's filed against individuals who have questioned, in varying degrees of harshness, the validity of his claim to Satoshi's throne. So we really had a great conversation, and I think that this is a wonderful opportunity to sort of learn some of the legal aspects and nuances of libertarianism. So check it out and let me know what you guys think. All right. So I guess we should probably just take it right from the top. Um, sure. Now, Craig filed a, a copyright on the white paper. So what is the difference between a copyright and a patent? Okay. Um, and I can explain also what filing a copyright, how that's that's actually slightly confusing. I can clarify that. But um, Please, yeah. Um, so there are there are different types of intellectual property law. Okay, the classic types are patent and tra and copyright, and patents um, cover inventions, and and that that can cover software too nowadays. Copyrights cover like artistic creations, like novels, paintings, but it can also co cover software because um, source code is considered to be creative expression. Okay. So patent and copyright both cover copy uh, software. Uh, patent covers the inventive aspects of it. Copyright would just cover the way something is written down, like the source code, um, or like uh, the original Bitcoin white paper. Um, there are several differences. Patent is more onerous. It has more extreme penalties in some sense, but it only lasts about roughly 17 years, and you have to file actively a patent application to get a patent. So right. if you have an invention, you don't get a patent on it unless you ask the government for one and pay a big fee uh, to do the patent application process. Copyright, ever since the Berne Convention and when the U.S. acceded to it in the 80s… Uh, is an automatic thing. As soon as you write down anything that's creative, like a poem or, or an email uh, article or, you know, or a blog post or a novel or a painting, as soon as you write it down, basically record it in a medium, you automatically have copyright. So that has nothing to do with registration. Um, the, the, uh, the copyright law now does not require what's called um, – um, formalities. So you don't have to co have a copyright notice to have a copyright. You don't have to register a copyright to have a copyright. So when you – you're, you're basically are granted or automatically have a copyright as soon as you are the author of something that you, that you write down somewhere. Um, if you want to, you can register it, but that's a second thing, and that's, that's only for certain legal reasons. Like if you want to file a lawsuit against someone, you need to register it first. Um, and or you, if you want to get higher statutory damages when you when you sue someone later, you can file a registration. But it's not necessary, and it's very cheap and simple. It's not like the patent process. Like the patent process, you have to hire a patent attorney. They write a multi-page document that describes your invention. You pay them a lot of money to do that. They file it with the patent office. That takes several thousand more dollars, and eventually the the office examines it. They look at it. They see if it's a good idea, if it's new. And if they agree, they issue a patent certificate, right? They issue the patent. 
so there's an examination process for copyright. There's no there's no such thing. Number one, it's automatic, and number two, even the registration is automatic. If you just file this document with the government and you certify that you're the author, they will just register it in their records. Um, so it really means almost nothing except if you want to sue later and you can prove the copyright holder. It's sometimes good to have filed the copyright registration first. So don't – people should not confuse our copyright registration with, with getting a copyright, and getting a copyright registration doesn't prove that you have a copyright either. It's just the government saying, okay, you've, you've sent this piece of paper into us. We're going to register it. All right, so would, would, you, would you agree that it's fair to say that um, copyrights can be consistent with the non-aggression principle, whereas patents are not because they rely on the force of the state to be enforced? Absolutely not. Uh, I would t disagree with that um, completely. Um, my view is – I'm a patent attorney, by the way, and a copyright – I've done – I'm an intellectual property attorney, okay? So I specialize in patents, but, um, uh, but no, I've come to the conclusion that all forms of intellectual property, including trade secret and trademark, and, and trademark law, by the way, um, which are not as damaging as patent and copyright, but which are still both horrible – um, and I would include defamation law in this, um, which is not normally considered to be a type of IP right, but I think it should be because just like trademark, it protects your reputation. Um, and libertarians and free market advocates have long opposed defamation rights and reputation rights because it's using the government to censor free speech. And trademark does the same thing. Copyright certainly does the same thing, and patent does the same thing. Copyright is not based upon contract at all. It is just a government edict saying that only this person has the right to publish certain words or certain patterns. Um, so they basically use the power of the government to stop people from publishing things they want to publish, which is a, a complete violation of free speech rights um, and freedom of the press. So no, it's not libertarian or free market at all. It's Copyright is horrible. Um, Copyright is worse than patent because it lasts longer. It lasts over 100 years in most cases because it lasts for the life of the author plus 70 years in most cases. Um, so it basically reduces the amount of creativity and public work that we can access, but it basically is a type of government censorship. Um, patents are horrible because they slow down innovation, technical and scientific innovation. But they at least only last 17 or so years, so the effect is not as severe uh, as copyright. But no, they're, they're both horrible, horrible laws. Okay. I'm surprised to hear, to hear that because I could have sworn there's a video floating around on YouTube where someone says uh, – you know, I guess Rothbard is taking questions, and someone says, what's the orthodox Rothbard position on IP? I yeah. think his response was something along the lines of copyright good and patent bad, but what you're yeah. saying makes sense. Yeah, no, he, he, that's correct. Rothbard was confused on patent and copyright. He got that one wrong. Um, but what he was defending copyright, he was not defending the copyright system that we think of now, which is a legislated system right. imposed by the Congress. He called it common law copyright, and he had some kind of idea that you could have a contractual system where there's a contract between the the people who sell their works and all the all the buyers not to reproduce it or something like that okay. uh, for various reasons that just doesn't work in reality but in any case he was not defending copyright um 
uh, as we have it now. So, uh, and the logic of Rothbard's argument against defamation law, which is in his Ethics of Liberty, um, look, he just he he only went so far with this. He he understood patents were bad. So no, so Rothbard's position is that, but uh, but I think he was just wrong on that. He just didn't go too far enough on that. Okay, all right, all right. So now to back up a little bit here, the fact that Craig. Uh, filed an application or whatever it was that he filed to get this copyright. In your opinion, does that in any way whatsoever lend any credence to his claim of actually being Satoshi Nakamoto? Uh, zero. Let, let me let me explain what happened. Um, so there was. Let's assume there was a white paper. <laughs> the Bitcoin white paper was published in two thousand and nine or whenever it was published, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So someone authored this paper, and it was published. Um, well, it, it doesn't even matter if it's published. It was actually written down. So someone wrote down this paper, the white paper, and then someone later wrote down the source code that was, I guess, the original blockchain um, source code. Um, at that moment in time, the U.S. copyright law and the international copyright law under the Berne Convention automatically created and granted a copyright to whoever the author or authors were. Okay, so the copyright existed from the moment of creation of the work and, and writing it down. So there has been a copyright on that work ever since. Now, my understanding is that the source code was released under some kind of MIT license. So that means there was there was an expression in the early draft of it which said anyone can use this under these conditions. So to the extent those type of licenses, like the GNU license, the MIT license, the Creative Commons license. To the extent that they're enforceable and recognized in court, and they seem to be by and large, um, that means that there is a copyright in it owned by the author who we don't know, but he can't enforce it anymore because he released it to the public through this MIT license. So in other words, he's, he's already given everyone permission to use it, and he can't take it back. Right. Now, the paper is irrelevant, but the paper… So whoever is the author owns the copyright. Now, if, if if Craig Wright, who claims to be Satoshi, can prove he's Satoshi and that he authored the paper, then he could prove that he is the copyright owner of that paper. Uh, filing registration with the copyright office, uh, you, I mean you or I could do that tomorrow. So what you do is you just go to the copyright.gov website, and you look up a, a, the form to file a copyright registration for a, uh, a literary work, which is what these would be. And you just you just send a, a sample of it, and you just sign you sign a form saying I hereby swear that I'm the author. Okay, and you certify, and then you certify under penalty of, um, not exactly perjury, but you certify under penalty of, of whatever the federal laws uh, require. And I think it's basically a fine of up to twenty five hundred dollars if if you're basically lying. Okay. So if you want to lie and risk. $2,500 fine. You can do anything you want, but that just means they record it. And um, now Craig and his his little his little um, coterie of defenders are saying that because the copyright office looked at it twice, it really means something special. But what I gathered happened was this: they filed a registration for the Bitcoin white paper. Someone at the copyright office noticed because this is kind of famous in some circles, and they they basically wrote him back. Now I'm guessing from the course from what what I'm in the articles and from what I know about copyright office procedure, I think this is what happened. Some minion at the copyright office sent a letter back or a note back to Craig or whoever filed it for him, and they said, 
when you sign this, you're saying you're the author under penalty of fines. Are you sure? Will you? Are you sure you're the author? Do you want to confirm this? And he said, yes, I confirm it. Okay, so he basically doubled down, right? So the copyright office said, okay, we'll register it. Now, you or I tomorrow could do the same thing. You or I could actually – I could file the white, the white paper or the source code right now. I could register it right now in my name and say I'm the author. Now, I would probably be in jeopardy of a, a fine and also maybe losing my law license because I'm a lawyer, and you're not supposed to screw with government IT agencies like that. But you could do it, right, and lots of people could do it. Someone uh, did too. Um, I saw that link that there was someone else who had filed a copyright registration for something that sounded like the white paper or the source code, but the title looked a little bit different to me than the original title, so I wasn't sure. I haven't seen the specimen they filed, so okay. I wasn't sure. But even if they did, the point that's the point is there's no examination process in the copyright office like there is in the patent office. They do hire examiners. They pay them a big fee. That's why you have to pay a big filing fee, like well over $1,000 which pays the examiner to do a search and to do an examination, and then you pay a lawyer to go back and forth with them. So there is some kind of vetting process in the patent office to make sure that the invention you, you claim a patent on is unique and, um, um, and not obvious, basically. Um, but there's, there's, no, there's nothing like that in the copyright office whatsoever. This would only come up in litigation. So in litigation… Let's say Craig wanted to sue someone for copyright infringement. I, I don't know why he would want to do that. I mean the, the, the white paper was actually, if I understand it, was embedded in the blockchain itself created by Satoshi, Satoshi's Bitcoin network. So it's already been made public to the world intentionally by the author somehow. Right. Um, so I don't think you would sue people for – what are you going to sue them for damages for publishing the white paper? It's been published a million times. So I guess you could sue them for using the software, but then their defense would be, number one, there's an MIT license on it. So you, you've already given us permission. You can't just take it back. And number two, you'd have to he'd have to prove he's the author of it, that he owns the software. And to prove that, he would just have to come up with proof to prove it, and the fact that he filed a copyright registration would have nothing to do with that. Um, it is true that if you file a copyright registration… Within, I think, like five years of the original publication of some work, then there could be a presumption that you're probably the author. But that's not even the case here because it was just filed recently, and Bitcoin's been out for well more than five years. So there's no presumption. So all, it, all that would happen is it would be just like a copyright lawsuit where uh, the plaintiff who would be Wright or his company would have to prove that, um, that Wright was the author of the paper. Um, and, and the code, um, you have to prove that with some kind of evidence. I don't know what that evidence could be. I would think that these cryptographic methods of you – know, Well, he could, he could move uh, yeah. Satoshi's original Bitcoin, which he hasn't done yet. Right. So I, 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 I don't know the technology that well, but I have – from what I've read that there is a way he could do it, and I have a feeling that if he goes before a court – and I think he's got other legal matters either through himself or through companies he, he's involved with. Like there's a defamation case. Um, uh, there's also patents he's filed, which he's I don't know if he's threatening to use them or what's going to happen. But but for for the for for the defamation case and for the copyright case, he would have to basically prove that he he was the author of of the white paper, um, and showing that the copyright office granted him a registration wouldn't help him prove that. So it would have to be some other kind of proof. Okay, All and right. I doubt uh, unless he's Satoshi. 
I don't think he could find proof because there would be no proof. There would be no evidence. Um, the only evidence would be his testimony, basically, and maybe some kind of files or emails he had, but those are all public. Anything digital could be modified if it wasn't public. So I don't see how he could ever prove it, especially if you have someone on the other side telling the judge, listen, if this guy's really Satoshi, all he has to do is – um, you know, move, what, what right. you say? yeah, so, sign something or move, move something from one of the early. Right, exactly. Uh, and he hasn't done that yet, which is kind of, you know, it's a big question mark hanging over his head. And it's, it's been like that since he made this claim back in what was it? 2016 or something. But... So I think the judge would say something like, if you're Satoshi, is it, is it true that you could just move this? Don't you have access to this key? I, I don't know. I don't see what his answer could be that wouldn't. I mean, he would have to say yes or no. If he says no, then the judge would say, well, why don't you have the key if you're actually Satoshi? And if he says, I do have the key, the judge could say, well, why don't you just you know, do one little transaction that can verify it? Prove it to and, us right now, yeah. And if he – unless he comes up with a good reason why he won't, I mean I could see not doing it if you're anonymous. Like say, I don't want anyone to know who I am, but now that he's claiming to be that… There would be no excuse not to just go ahead and do it, especially if you're trying to prove it. And if he didn't, which I suspect he couldn't because he's not, then the judge would say, I, I'm not persuaded, and right. the case would be over. That's that's my guess about what's going to happen if it doesn't get settled ahead of time or, or just fizzle out. That's yeah. just my rough guess. So, you know, this, this MIT license is what really kind of is throwing me for a loop because – if he gave the the technology, if he gave this the white paper to the, the general public for use, no, not the white paper, the source code, the source okay. code. Okay, okay, right. But if he if he gifted that to the public, why would he then turn around today and file a copyright? So filing the copyright doesn't. Uh, filing a copyright, you can registering a copyright is what he did. You you can you can do that for many reasons. Um, uh, one reason is before you file a lawsuit, it's just a requirement that you have to finally read. Most most things that are copyrighted are not registered. I mean, you you and I already have a copyright in this recording we're doing right now because it's being recorded. Like as we speak, there's a copyright being created. Okay, if you make a doodle on your legal pad right now, you have a copyright in that. But no one's going to. Most people don't file a registration to get it recorded with the copyright office because they don't need to. And if you ever want to sue someone for it, you could always file the registration later. Okay. It's just it's just that the statutory damages you could sue for instead of actual damages don't start accruing until the day you file the registration. So it's just a procedural thing. So there are reasons people file this. In, in my view, the reason he filed this is similar to the reason he's filed all these patents, which is a PR move. It's to try to… Uh, is try to confuse people who don't understand patent and copyright law that well to make them think that you have the imprimatur of the government, like the government's already approved your your claims. Um, and it's to either impress investors or to keep investors or partners from running away in, in a panic, or it's to um, psychologically try to push people to switch from Bitcoin – BTC to Bitcoin SV or from BCH to BSV, something, one of the, something like that. It's been pumping. So investors are it, – it's he's, he's – some people are buying into this. So I think this is all – my guess is he's doing all this as just a big smokescreen to try to, to try to convey the impression to everyone that, oh, of course he's really Satoshi. 
After all, the government has granted me patents on this. After all, the government um, has granted me um, a, a copyright in this. They've recognized my claims, uh, which, which this guy Nguyen, who was his one of his partners, who claims to have been an IP lawyer, in which I find hard to believe given what he said. Either – well, he seems wrong to me because he said that the way he described the copyright registration procedure is not the way any reputable copyright attorney I know would describe it. Let me put it that way. Um, it, it's just it's, – it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's an exaggeration. Ross Ulbricht, a web designer, had his whole life stolen from him by a criminal justice system, all for daring to enable humans to trade freely amongst themselves. This is a threat to all of us. Learn more at freeross.org. Now, do you think that, because he also has libel suits or, or slander yeah. suits or libel against at least two people that I know, Peter McCormick and Roger Rivera, for saying that, you know, he's not Satoshi Nakamoto and that he's a fraud or whatever it is that they said. Do you think that these copyright claims have anything to do with those lawsuits? Well, I think it's all part of a concerted effort of like, I, I think these guys who, these guys left Bitcoin BTC and trying to like take it over, and that didn't work. I mean, it, it could still work, but it's it seems like their 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 power play didn't work. And then there was a split with BSV and BCH, and the BSV guys didn't work. And there's there's basically now a dispute. I mean, I don't know the details. I have to imagine lots of very very people people that are very wealthy on paper from Bitcoin and then Bitcoin Cash. Um, seem to uh, they probably lost a lot of money on paper when they made their their bad bets when, when they switched to the, to the to the to the kind of stunted dwarf offshoot fork or whatever you want to call it uh, i'm kind of being biased in the way i say because i'm a bitcoin bcc guy but the point is <laughs> i think so so i think that um it's part of a concerted effort to try to stem the tide and try to push people psychologically back so craig is obviously a huge advocate of Apparently, various forms of status law. I mean, I I don't know why everyone assumes he's some kind of libertarian. I think he's some kind of. Um, yeah, no, I think he's some a, kind of. He's a narcissistic, Randian, Nietzschean like. I think you're giving him too much credit when you call him a Randian. <laughs> well, I think his argument. So I had a debate with him in London about a year and a half ago on the Vin Armani show uh, on intellectual property, and he just was terrible. He just repeated the same old crap. It was self. It was self-serving. It was incoherent. He, he, of course, promised that after the debate, he would prove to he would provide all kinds of evidence to me that backed up his b ridiculous claims that patents incentivize innovation because he said it had been proved. And I, I know the field better than anyone in the world, like literally. So I said, no, there's not. He promised that he never came up with it. This is typical of his MO from what I understand. He promises things and then you know, moves on to something else or backs off or changes but um, so he's 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 really bad on IP from a libertarian point of view, but I think he actually, from his own point of view, he overinflates how important it is. Um, he probably makes a lot of exaggerated claims uh, about how many patents he's filing, or how serious they are, or how valid they are, or how important they are, and it's not clear what he wants to use them for. Um, if you file a patent, I mean, generally you have to pay a lawyer several thousand dollars per patent and then if you file it in multiple countries you just double the you know just multiply it per country because you have to get local people and translate uh etc so it can cost tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars per patent 
if you're going in multiple countries. And he claims to have filed dozens or wants to file dozens. I mean, we're talking multi, multi millions of dollars now, which is implausible to me. Um, and even if he has, you can only file an app, you can only file a patent on an invention that number one, you're the author of, uh, sorry, the inventor of. Like, you can't just copy what you read about. You have to be the inventor, and it's got to be uh, new. So presumably, all this stuff is something in the last two or three years. Like, it's not something that was the, the heart of Bitcoin technology from five, seven years ago, because that would already be public domain, and it would be too late to file a patent on it anyway. So it's all new stuff that no one. My look, most patents. I've been a patent lawyer for twenty-five years, done hundreds of them. I know how these companies work. Most patents are complete bullshit. Um, they're there to impress investors. Um, the examiners don't know what they're doing, and they're happy to approve trivial, minor improvements or things that shouldn't be approved because they're really similar to what's gone before. They're obvious. So there's lots of crap out there, and. You can just file tons of patents in some regimes. Some are utility model patents. They're not even real patents or, or design patents, and they fool people. If you ever seen Shark Tank, you'll see a couple of the sharks say, is it a design patent or a utility patent? And most people listening don't even know the difference. But right. the utility patent is the real one. The design patent is the one that just how it looks, which is almost useless in most cases, except for the way the iPhone looks with the rounded corners. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, so my guess is that a large percentage of whatever portfolio of patents that Craig or his company in chain are filing are probably just fluff or redundant with each other or trivial or not even innovative or just new stuff that no one else is using anyway. So I, I don't necessarily see it as a big threat. The only problem is if you have a lot of money and Craig claims to, um, you could just file a lawsuit against some hapless victim and it will literally cost them hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to hire an attorney just to prove them innocent. Um, so a lot of times they just pay a settlement fee or they go away or they give up because – and I think something similar might be happening with this uh, Peter McCormack thing with the defamation case, which I understand. Um, so this is, of course, part of the problem with the state legal system and with defamation law, patent law, and trademark law, and copyright law is they could be used – by people that are – by large companies or people with money to, to bully other people into submission. Um, so if, if Peter McCormick gives in because he's, he's being faced with large liability, um, it's going to be used by the plaintiff to say that it's an admission that he was wrong exactly. and that he's Satoshi, which is completely false. Exactly. Um, it's, it's like a – it's basically – it's like, a, it's like a, a coerced confession. So it, it means literally nothing. Um, and the problem is, if I understand it, this defamation case is being brought in England instead of the U.S. In the U.S., it's a little bit harder to win a defamation case because the First Amendment is so strong here that it gives a good defense for anything that's true, and it puts the burden of proof on the plaintiff. But I think it's a little bit easier in European countries like in England um, – uh, you basically have to prove if you make an allegation against someone that just is harmful to their reputation, you've got to prove that it was not defamatory. So, th so the burden of proof shifts, um, so it gets harder. So it, it could be an uphill battle, um, although I still think that if McCormack had the right resources, I, I mean assuming 
Craig is not Satoshi, I, I think that that's what the court would probably conclude because that's where the evidence would line up. Well, that's my guess. That's my concern is that he's going to sort of try to use the courts in order to force people to refer to him as Satoshi Nakamoto and those who don't refer to him as Satoshi or – you know, if you think Hal Finney was Satoshi or something, then he's going to turn around and sue you. So, that's well, really and th this is my entire objection to IP law is that it basically is a type of speech control, at least in the in, in the sense of trademark and copyright. It, uh, I mean, there have been books banned by courts, like uh, the, the sequel to The Catcher in the Rye. The, the, the federal court said you may not publish this book. Now that's called book banning, you know, book burning, book banning. It's done in the name of copyright, and everyone says, "Oh, well, that's not." censorship because it's protecting a property right well right. the way i look at it is it is censorship and you're defending it by calling it a property right but it's not it's right. censorship and and that's that's the effect it's, there's a chilling effect a big chilling effect because of the existence of these laws and unfor unfortunately too many libertarians and free market advocates are, are naive about this and they support them and of course then you have the rabid ip supporters like like right and he supports defamation i've even heard trademark Claims people saying that they might go after Bit BTC people for calling it Bitcoin because you know they sort of won that public relations battle. Because when people say Bitcoin now, from my experience, they tend to mean the original BTC blockchain. And of course, the BCH people and the BSV people don't like that. So I've heard some mutterings that maybe we should sue the BTC. Anyone who calls BTC Bitcoin, sue them. For trademark infringement or, or for some kind of fraud, maybe. So that sounds super frivolous, though. No, it would be frivolous. But on the other hand, um, I think the reverse case would not be as frivolous. So I, I specifically remember, and in, in, was it late 2017 when there was the BCH split, and then you had um, uh, you had Bitcoin.com, which was a BCH promoter, come up with their little wallet, and several people. Uh, and, and not just there, but on Coinbase and other places, they were they were buying BCH, thinking they were buying B BTC because they were all called Bitcoin, right at the time. And they were thinking, oh, it's only twenty five hundred dollars. What a deal! I can I can buy this coin that everyone else is paying eighty seven hundred dollars for. I can buy it for twenty five hundred. So you could see some possible consumer confusion claims when someone bought BCH thinking they were getting the original Bitcoin. Um, but that seems to have disappeared too. So, I mean, if somebody buys a Toyota thinking that it's a Honda, I mean, it's really it's that's their own fault, though. No. Well, as a libertarian, I tend to think so. I'm a big believer in caveat emptor. Right. I, 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 I'm not that personally upset with with a, an idiot being parted with their money. Exactly. Um, and as a practical matter, anyone, you know, any dealership that sells Nissans that are really Toyotas. They're not going to last very long because eventually people will figure it out, and they'll, the guy's going to have a horrible reputation, which is why I think that all the exchanges, the, 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 uh, the reputable exchanges, they seem to be pretty clear now. Like they're telling you if you want to buy Bitcoin Cash, it's this one, BCH. If you want to buy Bitcoin, it's BTC. If you want to buy Bitcoin SV, it's this one. I think they're being pretty clear now. But they're doing it for reputational reasons. But there was a period of time when people were confused genuinely, and that was because the different factions were fighting. They were all fighting for this name. Right, right. But it seems to me like the, 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 the fork people lost that kind of battle for the name, and they don't like it. 
So some of them have threatened to use trademark or, or, or fraud. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone like the right does that because he's already threatened to use antitrust law. I think there's a lawsuit. I don't know if it's settled or not, but there was a lawsuit filed in Florida a few months ago. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, by the BSV people against the BCH people, right? Brought Brechevere and these guys saying that they had manip- manipulated the – they colluded in violation of antitrust laws to, to make BCH win the BCH-BSV split fight. And so I guess they're looking for a U.S. federal court to issue an injunction to people around the world telling them they have to unwind the blockchain stored on their private. How ridiculous. I know. This is the whole point of Bitcoin. The blockchain is that you, it's uncensorable. So this oh, would be oh, this is, this is a wild goose chase. Yeah, right, right. All right. So we've, we've got the copyright issue down. We discussed the libel issue. Here's what I think is interesting, because at CoinGeek in Toronto, this um, the conference put on by Enchain and the BSV folks, he actually stated that Binance was funding human trafficking and uh, prostitution. It sounds to me, and maybe you, maybe you can lend some insight on this, it sounds to me that that is more libelous than anything that Peter McCormick or Roger Ver have said regarding him. Well, so... Libel law works differently in different countries. Uh, I, I, I'm more familiar with the way it works in the U.S., uh, but it, it generally works that way in, in most other common law countries, although it's the threshold to win is usually lower, I think, because they don't have First Amendments. But the basic idea in libel is that if you, if you, if you make – if you publicize a statement about someone else that impugns their character, right, puts them in a false light, um, then – you're defaming them. You're harming their reputation. And there are some things that are called per se defamation or per se. Libel, by the way, is the written form. When people say libel and, and slander, those are just different forms of defamation. Libel just means written, and slander means oral. Okay. So if I repeat something to you orally, that's, that's slander. If I write it down in an email to you or publish it in a newspaper, that would be libel. But they're both defamation. Okay, So um, – and truth is usually a defense because as long as you're telling the truth, then it's not defamation. It's, it, it might hurt their reputation, but you're, all you're doing is exposing the truth. Now, if you threaten to hurt them, if you threaten to hurt them by revealing the truth, unless they pay you something, that's called blackmail or extortion. That's a whole other thing. But the point is, just merely publishing something. Um, now, the question is, under under the legal system, whose burden of proof is it to prove whether it was true or not. Uh, in the U.S., you'd have to the, – the, the plaintiff would have to prove that um, the, the defamatory statement was false. I think that's how it works. But anyway, the point is this. If you accuse someone of not being Satoshi, I don't think that's defamatory at all um, because you're just stating your opinion about a fact. Now, if you say Craig Wright is a fraud, now that is accused – and fraud is a nebulous term, but it does have some legal connotation. So generally if you accuse someone – like if you accuse someone of being a prostitute or having a, con- a contagious disease or uh, being dishonest in their profession, right? like if they're an accountant and you accuse them of, of something that would hurt their reputation of being an accountant, or if you accuse them of a crime, uh, of a certain type of crime, right? something that's particularly heinous. Those are considered per se defamation, which means that damages are presumed. You don't even have to show damages. For other types of defamation, you have to prove that, okay, it was false 
and it hurt me, and here's how much it hurt me. You have to prove how much the damages were. And it might be zero in some cases or a dollar. Um, so I, I don't really see – I think calling someone a fraud is dangerous because they could, they could say that. Now, if you accuse someone of – would you say that he accused Binance of facilitating something? Human trafficking. Well, that's what it was. I mean, I guess theoretically that would be a defamatory statement, but you'd have to say he could just say, oh, I don't mean that they did it themselves. I just mean they set up a network that's used by sort of like the Silk Road used Bitcoin. I think, yeah, right. I think that's what he was trying to get at. So I didn't see the statement, but it could arguably defamatory. But look, as a libertarian, I'm against defamation law anyway. I think people should be able to say whatever they want, whether it's true or false, whether it's ill spirited or not. Uh, it shouldn't be a crime, uh, but apparently um, some li- some so-called libertarians don't think so. Yeah, well, the ones who do think that, they should um, check out Defending the Undefendable by uh, your buddy, Walter Block. Yeah, and, and Murray Rothbard has a chapter called Knowledge, True and False, and the Ethics of Liberty, which he gives a, a good argument against um, reputation rights or defamation law. And I'll include links for both of those on the show notes page, as well as links for uh, your book, Against IP. Well, I, so I have uh, two books coming out this year. One is, um, one is an international law book. It's about protecting – it's from Oxford Press, so it's got nothing to do with libertarianism, but it, it is about how to protect your, your in, uh, large company's investments in other countries. It's called uh, International Investment, Political Risk, and Dispute Resolution. It's from Oxford. It's coming out in September. Um, but I also have a, a collection, an edited collection of my libertarian sort of theory articles and essays called Law in the Libertarian World coming out hopefully at the end of the year, maybe early next year. So those are my next two big publications I'm working on. All right, man. Before I let you go, do you have any clo- any closing thoughts on all of this? Well, uh, my focus is on the legality, legal aspects and libertarian aspects, and technologically I'm just a fan. Um, I don't personally care if Craig is Satoshi. I don't know if that's a big issue. If he is, he is. It's just a fact. Uh, I think it's sad that he is using the or threatening to use the power of the state to bully people. I do think there's a, a nice, strong libertarian element to a lot of the Bitcoin community, which is good. And to that extent, I think li- uh, people that are crypto advocates, Bitcoin advocates, should, if they're not already, they should wake up to the danger of patent law and copyright law patent trolling copyright bullying trademark bullying defamation law they should realize these things are all thoroughly unlibertarian completely not in the spirit of bitcoin uh and they should use whatever you know moral suasion they have to to boycott or to oppose anyone in our community who wants to use the the apparatus of the state to intrude onto anyone's Bitcoin or crypto affairs, you know, which, whichever one it is. So that's kind of my view. We should all try to band together and to oppose this kind of stuff. Even if you're a BSV fan technologically, right? Yeah, you should not be threatening people with defamation, true, antitrust, potential patents, and copyrights. All right, guys. Big thanks to Stefan Kinsella. Be sure to check out the show notes page where you'll find links for all of his books as well as a host of other useful resources. Also, big thanks to the supporters for making all of this possible. If you're interested in helping keep the lights on around here, you can find various ways of doing so by visiting salviagoras.com forward slash support. All right, guys. That's it. I will see you next time. Peace. You've been listening to The Agora. 
for free resources and materials. Visit salviagoras.com.